As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. All right, so welcome back to Killer Queens. We've got a special treat today. Yeah, and some of you might be thinking, what am I in, Groundhog Day? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, some of you patrons, you just might be thinking that. Yeah. Um, but you're not. No. No. This is just um, a special treat here. I feel like we are reenacting the sweaty balls thing just the way we're sitting. Like, we're kind of next to each other and, like, sort of eyeing each other from the side. It's like, yeah. <laughs> mm. Get a load of these sweaty balls. Your balls are so perfectly shaped. <laughs> okay, enough of that. But we were going to take this week off, and then we said, no, no. No, we can't do that. We can't do that to our people. Mm-mm. So we are sharing. So, okay, on our Doc Jams, we do docu-series coverage, like episode by episode. But sometimes we'll do like a one-off. If it's just a series or a, a special. Yeah. So this is our coverage of the ID channels. Uh, what do they call it? An ID murder mystery or an ID mystery? Yeah. Pretty mur- uh It'll American be the, murder mystery. It'll be in the title. I'll I'll figure it out and type it up correctly. But you know what we're saying. So they did a one episode thing on Brittany Murphy. It's very ID. It's got some of those uh, people in it, like the talking heads that are in some of the other ones. Sweet baby Diane Diamond. Love, love, love her. her. Loving yes. her. And um, so anyway, we wanted to share that with you so you can kind of get a taste of what our Doc Jams are like. Uh, They are available at the $10 level on our Patreon and up. And right now we are finishing up Love Fraud. We're getting ready to do Night Stalker. Oh, man. Ask and you shall receive. I also saw an article that was like, that was just a gory mess. And I'm like, okay, have you ever heard of? 
Richard Ramirez? No. What were you expecting? Mm-mm. Rainbows and butterflies? Not gonna happen. Yeah. A birthday party for kittens? Mm-mm. No. But that oh. would be... I would watch that. I would do. Yeah, that's cute. Um. All right. So without further ado, here's... Brittany Murphy. An ID... Mystery Science Theater, Brittany Murphy. Yeah, there it is. All right. So Brittany Murphy, I feel like everybody knows this story, but maybe I feel like this is a case for me, especially as much as I know about it. I always want more Mm -hmm. like I can't shut up about it. Yeah. And I'm glad they brought it back up because there were some things that I did believe about this case just because it's what I heard in the media. And then now that I like look back at it and research it more, because when this happened, you know, 2009, God, that's 11 years ago or 10 and a half at this point. But gross. I I know the Internet was not the same as it is today. You know, you couldn't find every single thing on the Internet. We Um, were still using T9 to text. Yeah, and I think I still had a MySpace. Oh, yes. Yeah, because I I didn't I didn't have a college email address, so I couldn't use Facebook for the longest time. Same. I think I didn't get it until like 2008, but I'm I think I had overlap for a while, and then I finally got rid of MySpace and it was like, you know, fuck that, I'm using Facebook. Do you want to tell us who was in your top 8? No. <laughs> Cuz I wasn't in it. <laughs> oh no, Tom was Was Tom, Tom was Tom? Yes. Okay. Um. Definitely you. Tom was the U2 oh, yeah. of MySpace friends where he just asserted himself there and he was like, well, you get me whether you like it or not. Yeah. And I was like, how do I get Tom out of here? <laughs> I don't even know Tom. And friend. Yeah. Um. But, okay, here's something. My, and whoever I was dating, of course, because like true love lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my favorite things about MySpace was that you could have your profile song. Oh, yeah. And so mine for a while was Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson because I was like, I don't need you. I don't need a man's. Yeah. That was, that's like super, uh, angsty and just, you're like a little sassy Sue. I know. I was like, try me. Pretty sure Collide by Howie Day was mine for for a second at some point. It's just a good song. I listen to it all the time still. Oh, yeah. I can't remember any other songs from that time, what it probably had on there. Maybe like a yellow card. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Song. All right. So did I say you can watch this on Hulu? Sure did. Many times. Okay. Well, if you're not sure, you can watch on Hulu. Hollywood is a village. And once you upset the villagers, they talk and they gossip and they rumor and they have blood on their hands. And I hope they wash them with very hot water because the way they treated Brittany Murphy when she was alive was terrible. <laughs> Hi, my name is Brittany Murphy and I go to Hoover Hoover Middle School. <laughs> she was a unique talent with unlimited potential. You could just tell that she was going to be a star. But at the age of 30, Brittany Murphy mysteriously perishes. 32-year-old women just don't drop dead at home. This sort of makes everybody go, what? In this special report, we reveal the troubling dynamics. He cut her off from the outside world, controlled her mind. In the relationship that came to define her. The more this man talked, the more suspicious he became. How about stories that you are a Svengali? Svengali? I should be so lucky. (laughs) Speak exclusively with members of her family. 
my daughter. She was everything to me. It was terrible. Unbelievably terrible. And reveal the explosive accusation that casts everything in doubt. He suspected that his daughter had indeed been poisoned. What was going on inside that house? We open with the 911 call of Sharon Murphy, who's the mother of Brittany Murphy. Someone was the address of the emergency. 1895 Rising Glen Road. Tell me exactly what happened. Oh, somebody's passed out. Somebody what? Oh, somebody's, my daughter's passed out. Please get oh, your oh, okay. please. Okay, okay. How old is your daughter? She's 30. Please have someone coming. Yeah, ma'am, you don't have to yell. We're going to send somebody out there, okay? Is she awake? Please, no. Is she breathing? No. Kneel next to her and look inside her, her mouth to check for food or vomit. She threw up tons of stuff. Is tons there? and tons of water. The husband of the woman who's not breathing on the floor, he's entered the picture. He gets down on his knees and he starts administering CPR. Too slow. Just keep doing compressions. Okay, until help can take over. December 20th, 2009 at 8 a.m. So Sharon is pleading for help because her daughter has passed out. Um, I guess when people pass out or like they're on the ground, you don't necessarily know how bad it is. But I kind of hate, not hate, like whatever, you guys get it. But it's like when people call 911 and say somebody's passed out, I feel like that doesn't convey enough urgency. And like Brittany wasn't just passed out. She barely had a pulse. Like, I feel like when you call and you're like, somebody's passed out. It's like, did they just black out and they're coming to, you know, like. Yeah, exactly. This and that is could... a big emergency. Well, and not to say that she, obviously she was calling for a legit reason, but people call yeah. 911 for not legit yeah. reasons. All yeah. And like in the Greg Smart case, you know, Pam, when she got home and found him, she runs over to the neighbor's hysterical and they're like, somebody's passed out somewhere. And they're like, why is he passed out? And she's like, I don't know. She doesn't know why he's passed out. Like he was shot in the head. Mm. He wasn't passed out. Like, I don't know. Again, you know, had she not known that, whatever, but it's just like makes it sound not as bad. Sure. The operator tells her to check to see if her daughter has anything like blocking her mouth, like food or vomit or something like that. And she says she threw up tons of stuff, tons of water. Then her daughter's husband comes in the room and starts CPR. And the operator says, okay, that's too slow, but just keep doing it until help arrives. Because he's counting just really slow. Was he counting Mississippi? Not that slow. Okay. That would have been deliberate, right? Mm-hmm. He was like, am I crooked letter, crooked letter? <laughs> <I>? <laughs> like, you bitch, what are you doing? Yeah. So... Paramedics arrive at the Hollywood Hills mansion to find a 115-pound Brittany Murphy, you can't see my air quotes, unconscious on the bathroom floor. Why are there air quotes here? Because that's what somebody said. Oh. He's just like, immediately, he's like, and there is 115-pound Brittany Murphy. I hope to God that that's not the new way of introducing people. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody needs to be like, however much I weigh because I actually don't own a scale. I don't either anymore. And yeah, so if, okay, here's everybody. Let's pinky promise. If anybody ever finds me passed out on the bathroom floor next to the chaise long, mm-hmm. then you will say 115 pound Torella slip. There you go. All right. Agreed. <laughs> and I'll say it for you guys too. Yeah, me too. 
Unconscious on the bathroom floor, I already said that, with her are her mother, Sharon, and her husband, Simon Monjack. And so the guy, this guy's name is Mark Ebner. He's just a journalist. Not just a journalist, like good for you, Mark. Uh, <laughs> um, he's a journalist, but he's the one who says 115 pound Brittany Murphy. And then he says Simon Monjack, a heavyset Englishman. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Stature and weight is very important to him. It actually does play slightly a role, but yeah, it is. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So, guess who is in this documentary? Diane Diamond. Yes! Yay! I love her. She gives us some background on Britney. So, she was born November 10th, 1977. Oh, my God. We're, like, basically birthday twins. You are. I didn't even think about that. I was like, I don't know anybody born around that time. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Not the year, but the day. Yeah. Her parents were Sharon Murphy and Angelo Bertolotti. That's a name. Mm Mm-hmm. Her parents, Diane says, met in an unusual way. Angelo Bertolotti was from New York City, but he moved to Florida where he owned nightclubs. He was connected to the mob, like legit into organized crime. Literally his name, if you can judge somebody by their name, I think that that is fitting. It makes sense to me. Yeah, like corroborated right there. He had some shady dealings. So he had hired Sharon to work in one of his clubs and Sharon fell in love with the dangerous mob lifestyle and the fountains of cash that ran through the business. They quickly got married, but then Sharon got like, it was like as soon as they got married, Sharon was like, where are you? You're out all the time. Why are you in jail all the time? Like when they were dating, it seemed like she had stars in her eyes about it. And then they got married and she was like, okay, this is annoying. Like, (laughs) I, I love when like that this. happens. It happens all the time with other things, I'm sure. With you know? everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that he does this. I mm-hmm. love it. I love it. I love it. And then you get married and you're like, oh my God, if he does that one more time. <laughs> but they decided to file, well, probably Sharon, filed for divorce when Brittany was two years old. And Angelo Bertolotti is actually in this documentary. I don't know when it was all recorded. I mean, they just now released it. But... He passed away in early 2019. Oh. At the age of 92. Wow. So. Was her, was Brittany Murphy's actual name Brittany Bertolotti and she just went by Murphy? Like I don't stage know, name Because style? they, they, like I know that they got married, but I, I, I don't know. I assume they would have given Brittany his name, right? If they were married. You would think. I don't know. Yeah. They never refer to her as Bertolotti at all. But. He's he's probably in his 90s at the time of the recording. She was. She was born Brittany Ann Bertolotti. Uh, that's a better 
stage name. It's easier. Brittany Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. It flows better. Totally. Um, But he was probably in his 90s at the time of the recording. So it's like anything that he says, it's kind of hard to understand. He's just blessing me so old. But he says that Sharon knew he was involved in crime and that he was heavily involved in his business and little with the marriage. Well, that's shooting it straight. He had shit to do. So (laughs) Sharon took Brittany and moved to Edison, New Jersey. Brittany wanted to be on TV from a very early age. And we get to see like a kind of home video where Brittany is like, hosting a tv show it, it looks maybe like at a school fair or like at, at a school trip or something like that and they ask her they're like hey do you want to host this or whatever and she's like yeah okay sure and she's in <laughs> middle school and so they're like uh, you know give her a microphone or whatever and she's like <laughs> hi my name is Brittany murphy and i go to Hoover Hoover middle school <laughs> And she's just like giggling the whole way through. I love it. It's classic Brittany Murphy. Yes. Yeah. It's so, I loved watching that. I was like, yes. Brittany Murphy. Always that way. Literally, like she was one, I get, for whatever reason, ultra affected when celebrities, like actors and actresses, I don't even have to like them all that much or be like a super huge fan, but I get really upset when they pass away and I don't know why, but Brittany Murphy was one that legit shook me. Oh my gosh. Yeah, me too. Because she's a light in the world. I know. Like we talked about this when we recorded earlier, but like everybody says that about people who pass away, but she, she was seriously one of those people that like you couldn't help but smile when you watched her. She just, she was so funny and like quirky and goofy. Yes. And her giggle was infectious. Her laugh was amazing. I loved it. Brittany had her sights set on Hollywood and Sharon was by her side. So we meet a journalist. I think he's like maybe Scottish. His name is Bryn Hammond. And he says that they were extremely close and more like friends than mother and daughter. And Mark Ebner said they considered themselves each other's soulmates. They like they actually called each other each other's soulmate. Hmm. I don't get it, but you know. Okay. Um, so she started getting acting jobs and she started kind of supplementing Sharon's income. So Sharon was working in, I think, advertising in New Jersey. And then she kind of started getting some small parts and she was like actually helping pay the bills. And they moved to Hollywood. And and I was thinking about this, too, when I was watching this, like. Obviously, Brittany has got the talent, but like had her mom been like, I'm not going to pick up and move to Hollywood. That's a tough move because Mm -hmm. it's so expensive. She's a single parent. Like, can you imagine just being like, wow, yeah, we're really going to do this? Like that that goes a lot to like the parents business acumen, I think, and like just their leap of faith or whatever. But they moved to Hollywood. Wow. And then, of course, in 1995, Clueless came out and then Brittany was a huge star. Okay, I kind of take issue with what Bren says here. Oh, no. Clueless was a huge moment for Brittany Murphy in her career, but she was still typecast as a fat, plump brunette. So over the period of time, she got thin and went blonde, and people took notice, and she started getting bigger roles. No, she was not. That's what I was thinking. Like, at the time of Clueless, I'm like, she didn't play a... F- a like, it doesn't matter. But she, that's not what she played. Like, they didn't cast her as the the fat friend or whatever. I was like, what are you talking about? No, the only thing that I would notice about Brittany Murphy, especially from Clueless specifically, 
And I remember saying this because when when it came out, we were younger and I was like mesmerized by it. And I've never looked back. because It's been my favorite movie for my entire life, basically. Yeah. Was that Brittany Murphy had bigger boobs than the other two girls did. Yeah. And I remember commenting on that. Yeah. But it but they all shared clothes and stuff, didn't they? I mean, yes. Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking she about? She was tiny. Mm-hmm. She's always been tiny. Yeah. And it, like, it doesn't matter either way, but it was just a, I thought it was kind of a weird comment. Like she was just. Because he was like, you know, she was always like the the fat or plump brunette, and then she went blonde and got thin, and that's when she really started getting roles. I'm like, do you not consider Clueless a huge role? She's on the fucking cover of it. Yeah, I don't know. I think he needs to. I think he needs to take a step, take a seat, and recognize what the hell he's saying. That's what I think. So she does start getting more roles, and she starts dating famous men. So they kind of made a comment here that, like, you know, she tended to date co-stars. Which I have heard I that. didn't realize that she dated Eminem when she was in 8 Mile. Did you know okay, that? Okay, no, I did not know that. Yeah, I had no idea. I I didn't think anybody actually dated Eminem except for <sighs> Kim. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, we all know about her and Ashton in Just Married, though. Yeah, and didn't they get engaged? Yeah. Didn't they, like, announce it on, like, TRL's New Year's <laughs> Eve? Oh, oh my gosh, I think they did. Yeah, and I was like, oh. Oh, they're so beautiful. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Remember Uptown Girls, though? Uh, I, I loved everything she was in. Um, And that was, like, prime time for those kind of movies, too. And, like, that's all we did was just, like, watch movies like that and listen to, like, NSYNC and shit. Or, like, the movie's soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, But she never found love. You know, none of that ever worked out. And in the show, they were, like, you know, she dated Ashton Kutcher, who, you know, is now married to Demi Moore. And I'm like, when did you guys do this interview? Like, he's been with Mila. I mean, uh, Mila. Yeah, Mila Kunis. Yeah. For like years. That's what I thought. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But then her whole life takes a huge turn when in 2006, she meets Simon Monjack. She read a script based on a book called White Hotel and made it her mission to meet the screenwriter, which was Simon. So now we meet Linda Monjack, which is Simon's mother. She's not my favorite. Okay. She says that Simon was a gifted writer and director and could find people's souls with the camera lens. She's obviously British as well, not because of how I'm saying it, but just... (laughs) She's very animated with her words, though, right? I mean, like... and. So while she's saying that, you guys have to watch this if you haven't, but while she's saying that, behind, like, they're showing clips of some of his movies, you know, that are have no audio. And everything that they play is, like, overexposed. They have these, like, jolting, everything's, like, all the movements are super, like, jolty and over-the-top and over-exaggerated, and it it almost looks like they've sped it up, but I don't think they have. Like, that's how these people are moving in scenes together. And I'm like, th- it looked weird to me. I mean, I'm not a film critic. I, you know, I don't claim to know a lot about film, but I'm just like, it looks weird and doesn't look that great to me. I don't know. Maybe it's just super art housey, though, you know, like really avant-garde kind of. I guess. I'm, <gasps> I am a person who just openly does not appreciate art. I just don't. (laughs) At least she knows that, right? Yeah. We went to MTSU on Saturday to catch Pokemon because I'm mom. And um, I took, like, what, three classes there, like, one day out of a month or something. And um, we were walking past stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I had 
had a class in this hall or whatever. And so like we got to the art hall or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I had a class over here. And Andrew was like, why? This is the art hall. And I was like, because it was a requirement. And I was like, they made me take art appreciation. And he was like, but you don't appreciate art. I was like, I know. I was super pissed about it. Yeah, like, there's one person in the world that really does not appreciate art. It's Torella. I just like, I go to an art gallery with Tori and I look at the stuff and like, it'll take her an hour to move through it. And I'm like five minutes. I'm like, she just scans, scans it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I saw everything. Done. Yeah. What? She's like, okay, I'll go wait in the car. Yeah. What's the point? <laughs> Um, so I don't know, maybe you would appreciate his work. I didn't, but, um, he had, so Simon had made a name for himself as the quote unquote creative force behind the movie Factory Girl. Did you watch Factory Girl or know about it? No. Okay. I didn't either. And I thought if Tori doesn't even know about it, then it definitely wasn't because like, you know, a lot of obscure movies too, or like maybe movies that didn't hit as big or whatever some yeah it had sienna miller in it i think and it was a movie like loosely based on andy warhol's muse edie sedgwick and simon was a screenwriter for the movie and so now you know after that comes out he's like getting in all of these like fancy hollywood circles he's like going to movie premieres and like stuff like that she starts talking to him about business Brittany does so so remember, she wanted to meet him because she read a, a, a script he wrote. So she meets him. And I think they had kind of maybe met before or like been acquainted in, in some way. But then once she read it, she's like, OK, I've really got to get to know this guy, I guess. For whatever reason, she's entranced by him. She's smitten. She falls immediately in love with him. OK, I feel like if... I don't know if this is even accurate or not, but maybe Brittany was one of those people that just like fell hard and fell fast. Like she kind of, you know, like when you're in middle, no, uh, when you're in high school or whatever and you date somebody and you're like, oh my God, this is it. I've never loved anyone the way that I love this person. Yeah. And then let's just say that the person that you're with that you feel that way about actually returns those feelings. And then you're on a super fast, like, fast track to... Yeah. And, like, you know, Simon was, at this time, he's, like, in his early 40s, I think. Yeah, he was much... Well, not much older than her, but he was older than her. Yeah, he was older than her. And she, you know, is a petite, very beautiful... I mean, super rising star. She was huge at that point. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, she dated attractive men before that. It just... Simon's not conventionally attractive. Um, but Simon says that the day... <sighs> what? Simon says. Oh. oh. I'm sorry. Linda, Simon's mom, says that the day that Simon met Brittany, I guess, again, like, now they're in a relationship, basically. Um, she says that he immediately called her and told her about Brittany. And he phoned me the very day he said, I've met this crazy girl, Mom. She's a crazy, crazy girl, but I think I'm a bit in love with her. I said, oh, Simon, you've only just met her. He said, she is an amazing woman, and I'm falling for her now. She says crazy like 47 times. I'm like, just crazy. Yeah, but they were married within a year, and she says, so like, 
She says that he calls her the day that he meets her, and he's like, I'm in love with this girl, and she's crazy times 11. But crazy, 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 crazy. Yeah. But then they eloped and got married and didn't tell anybody. So she didn't know they got married until after. How crazy. They're crazy. <laughs> Just crazy, crazy. <laughs> She's like, Simon was always very impulsive, but it was also his third marriage. But she says the first one where he was really in love. I don't want to judge anything here, but isn't that like a prereq <laughs> marriage thing? You would hope. <laughs> like, okay. So they get married and they're going to start their happily ever after, right? And it's like what we do, right? Right. Almost. Sharon moves in with them immediately as soon as they're married. They get a... $3.9 million home that was owned previously by Britney Spears. I heard about that. And she kept a lot of the furniture that Britney had in the house, too. Yeah. And then Sharon moves in. So it's like a, a huge mansion. I mean, there's plenty of space. Sharon could it. have had the East Wing. Yeah, basically. But still, it's like we just got married. Wouldn't it be weird that your mom lives here? Uh, yeah. Wouldn't be my favorite, probably. Yeah. Although we were watching America's Funniest Home Videos last night because again, I'm a mom. <sighs> and um, there was a video. Oh, no. It wasn't a video. It was a commercial. So what I was watching didn't matter. Okay, Sorry. I was going to say, that's yeah. the point of the show, Torella, is yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. It was a commercial, so forget it. Anyway, um, but it was like a commercial of two people doing a bunch of laundry. And they're like, ever since my daughter and her kids, um, or my you know daughter and son-in-law and their kids moved into the house, all we've been doing is laundry. And it's a Tide commercial being like, you know, I used to use other laundry detergent because I thought it was better, but I realized that Tide does the job better or whatever. And I was like, hang on. If we move back in with your parents, they'll do our laundry for us? And he was like, maybe. And I was like, I'm interested. <laughs> Let's have this conversation. I'm interested. I well, and sometimes, and I don't think this is the case for Brittany Murphy, but sometimes it's cultural. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so they move into the the mansion in the Hollywood Hills, and then two years later, Brittany is unconscious on her bathroom floor. So paramedics are working hard to keep Brittany alive until they can get her to the hospital. She's rushed to Cedar sinai Hospital, and the doctors are working furiously to get her heart started, but it's too late. At 10.05 a.m., Brittany Murphy is declared dead. Sharon completely falls apart. Simon called his mother, and she says he was totally devastated, and Angelo said he was in complete shock. Like, you know, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. And, like, the whole world was. When the news hit, the media swarmed the Hollywood Hills mansion. Everybody wanted, everybody wanted to know, like, how could she have died? She was only 32 years old, and she I, seemed incredibly healthy. I remember the day, mm -hmm. like, getting the news and being like, what? Yeah. Yeah. I just could not, you just could not believe it. Exactly. It was unfathomable we now meet ed winter who was the chief coroner for the britney murphy death investigation he says that he also like he got the high profile cases in la county so he got um michael jackson whitney houston all the big guns go to this guy and he said they interviewed simon within a few hours at the home and you know he's like we interviewed simon within a couple hours of britney's death he told me she was sick. She had flu symptoms. It was a little strange in his mannerisms. He appeared to be under the influence of something. He wouldn't sit down. He just kept pacing back and forth and was kind of stoic and kind of rambling. People will react in many different ways. 
from crying or just being silent, but he appeared confused. They didn't know if by the time they talked to him, you know, it was a couple hours after, so he's at home. Was he drunk? Was he on pills or something? Like, well, yeah, I was going to say, if he's pacing like that from what I've read about things, maybe what cocaine keeps you up and active and... Yeah, something. And they said he just, he just seemed to be really confused. I don't know. Hmm. Simon was also very outspoken and against having an autopsy done. So Winter was like, you know, hey, dude, just let you know, like, here's the next steps of the investigation. We'll do an autopsy to figure out the cause of death. And Simon was like, oh, absolutely uh -uh, not going to happen. And he's like, "Okay, It's going to happen. The only way that it's not going to happen is if you can prove to me that you have religious objection to it or if you have a court order. I was going to say, they really, unless you are like 104 years old or right. have terminal cancer or something like that, they have to do an autopsy. They don't yeah. have to, but they really don't want to not do an autopsy. Yeah. So Simon was like, okay, well, I don't have either one of those things. So they were like, okay, then we're going to do it. Um, so then they canvassed the house for evidence. Now, in the bedroom alone, they found over 90 different prescription bottles. Just on Simon's side of the bed, there were like anxiety and depression medications, habit forming painkillers. Like they had everything. And isn't that what, like a cocktail of that kind of stuff, was what killed Heath Ledger? Yes. Yeah. I think so. It was definitely an overdose of some kind for him. Yeah. I thought it, it was like a sleeping up. pill and then also like some, some other things. Yeah. You use, there's so many things you can't mix together. It's just dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also found more pills on Brittany's side. So, so like 90 medications is a lot, but that I've was never, just on his side. Yeah. I've never been prescribed 90 different prescriptions the entirety of my life, I think. Right. Yeah. And there was 90 just on his side of the bed. That so, were not expired and just there. Yeah. And then, you know, they've got more on Brittany's side. So with that information, reports start to emerge that portrayed Brittany a little differently that she, than she had been in the media. So there were people kind of coming forward and being like, so she worked on this movie Spun. And oh, yeah, I've seen Spun. Yeah, I haven't seen it. But um, they said that she didn't do drugs on set, but that they definitely knew that she was smoking crack with Simon Monjack after the fact. Well, the whole point of the movie is drug addict. You know, like it's. Yeah. Yeah. But also like. If you're saying you never saw her do it, then how do you know she's smoking crack? That's a pretty big like allegation to yeah, throw out there. Don't you think? Like, yeah. I never saw her do it, but I know she did. How? Are you sure? Well, right. And like, yeah, what are you basing that off of? Because I know that her size comes into play. Like, oh, you know, she she dr- battled with an eating disorder. And then some people will say, well, she must be on drugs because she's so skinny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some people did say that, like, she would... She would show up, like, high on set. She would forget her lines. Like, those are things that are indicative of something going on. True. Um, But the other thing, just being, like, I'm positive she was smoking crack afterwards. I don't know. I'm just, like, how do you know that? Um, But she was becoming more difficult to work with. So her agency, I didn't know this, her agency and her manager had dumped her just before this happened. And she started getting offers for, like, B-rated films rather than blockbuster hits. And one of the movies they mentioned was The Dead Girl. Do you remember that movie? No. 
I watched it. I thought it was really good. And I was like, oh, Brittany Murphy's in it. It must be good. Like, actually, I don't remember if I liked it or not, but I remember thinking, oh, this must be a big movie because Brittany Murphy's in it. But the way they described her taking that role is that she basically had to because nobody would work with her anymore because her agency and her manager were no longer helping her get roles. And Simon was telling her what role she was allowed to take. And he was also making a lot of trouble for her on set because a big part of the reason that like, like she got fired from one movie because Simon showed up to one of the sets drunk. Oh, geez. And they were like, hey, you need to make sure your husband doesn't come on set anymore. And she's like, well, if you're not going to let my husband be here, then you can fuck off, basically. And they were like, "Okay, well, then you're fired. Like, we'll find somebody else. Right. That's a really toxic relationship. Super toxic relationship. And like she got she got into an argument with somebody. I don't remember who it was. I can't, And I can't remember if this was actually in the documentary or if I read it in another article, but that she talked to somebody at some point who was like, hey, you know, maybe you should kind of look out for Simon because I kind of feel like he's trouble. And she was like, you don't know my husband. You don't have any right to say anything about him. And like very defensive. Yeah, super defensive and like hung up on that person. And they were like, oh, OK. Like, OK, but side note that the movie The Dead Girl that you just talked about has so many big names in it. OK, all right. I was like, I thought it was a big movie. Tony Collette. Love. Oh, Marsha yeah. Gay Harden. Love. Yeah. James Franco. <gasps> Love. Love. Yeah. Giovanni Ribisi. Oh. Super duper love. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people in it. Okay. It's not a bad movie. I was like, uh, no. I, I'm pretty sure I really liked it. I haven't seen it in a long time. But yeah. And yeah. I have this really, really strange fascination. I don't know if it's really strange, but like Steven, my husband, he's always like, you are so weird because in my, I have a 90s room in my house and everything is like, you know, just the 90s threw up in it. But then I have like Holocaust documentaries. And he's like, everything is so like sugary rainbows and butterflies and just like happy, happy, happy butterfly clips. And then you have Holocaust stuff. But Brittany Murphy was in a movie called The Devil's Arithmetic, which I watched. I don't know if you were there for it, but I watched with mom one time and I loved it and it had Kirsten Dunst and Brittany Murphy in it. I don't think I've. It's really good, but yeah. it's heavy as hell because yeah. it's about the Holocaust. But right. Yeah. Yeah. She's a great actor. Yeah. Um. But Mark Ebner said it's no coincidence that people started noticing her erratic behavior at the time she got with Simon. So it's like it, everything centered on that change in her life, because when she met him and started dating him and got married to him, she was like on the fast track upward. Right. And then it's like she met him and it was like, you know, and then down. <laughs> a wow. Well, it's weird to me, though, obviously, like we said, toxic, toxic, toxic. but. He's in the movie industry. You would think that he would understand the the world of, you know, how to how to live in that world and be like, look, you know, you gotta get your shit together. Quit. Let's let's not go to go to your job drunk. Let's yeah. not do these, you know. Yeah, that would be ideal. But yeah. It's crazy. So given all of this, people are starting to suspect that Simon maybe had something to do with Britney's death. By January 2010, people are digging into Simon's past now that he's suspected to be involved. During this time, people start coming forward with new information about Simon Monjack's past, one of which was Simone Bien, his first wife. They had met in 2001 and they married in Vegas. When they were dating, Simon told Simone that he owned several Damien Hurst paintings and he was the heir to a steel mill. 
I did not know who Damien Hurst is. I sure don't either. Clearly, I don't care about art, but <laughs> I looked him up, and he is said to be the richest living artist in the UK, and according to his web to- hmm, website, he is a British contemporary artist. His varied practice explores complex relationships between art, religion, science, life, and death. Wow. So he has, supposedly has all these very expensive paintings. And he is the heir to a steel mill. And Bryn Hammond says he literally didn't have any of those. Not one. Like, no paintings. What? He was not an heir to a steel mill. (laughs) So they get married immediately. And he moves into her house and becomes what Bryn Hammond says is a slob overnight. He's literally overnight. Like a slob kebab. Yeah. They separated after, like, weeks. It may have been, like, a month or two, but that's it. Because well, he was a fucking con artist. Yeah, and it, it was almost immediate. And Simon's mom is like, yeah, my family were wealthy, but he didn't have access to any of that money. And, um, you know, Simon's just really impulsive. And, and after they got married, he quickly realized she wasn't for him. You know, and it's not, I'm not saying that it's a good thing, but it's like who he was. And so, you know, they got separated. He just realized, you know, she's just not my cup of tea. I'm like, well, that's one way to spin it. That's one way to spin it. He realized she wasn't for him. Like, I think it's the other way around. Yeah. Simon's like, no, 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 no. You're not leaving me because I already just left you. Yeah, exactly. You can't fire me. I quit. (laughs) So in a settlement, Simon was ordered to pay $50,000 to Simone. And I don't know why specifically. Like, she's kept super tight-lipped about the whole thing. Um, She doesn't really talk much about it. I don't know if it was like uh, getting her to marry him under false pretense kind of thing and like, look at all the damage this has caused in my life or like legal fees or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, he was supposed to pay her 50 grand. Did he pay it? Hell no. Hell no. So there's that. But then we also find out, remember how his whole claim to fame was writing Factory Girl? Yeah. Did he write it? No, he didn't write it. (gasps) So here's what happened. Diane Diamond tells us that... I want to hear her say it. Well... (laughs) I know. I wish I was doing this podcast with Diane Diamond, actually. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I can't. What am I supposed to do about that? Yeah. Um, she said that what happened was that he accused the writers of Factory Girl of stealing his script. He says he wrote it. And they were like, no, the fuck you didn't. And he was like, well, yes, the fuck I did. <laughs> and so they were like, you know what? Instead of dragging out this legal battle or whatever, on IMDb, they gave him a screenwriting credit just to make him go away. And so then he took that and brought it to everybody and was like, I wrote Factory Girl. And so. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. He literally had nothing to do with it. It kind of reminds me, which is not the same at all. But I used to date a guy who swore up and down that a song that Chris Brown came out with was a song that he had written that Chris Brown like plagiarized and took from him. And I'm like, guess who doesn't even know you exist? Chris Brown. Exactly. Yeah. And like this movie, nobody I've ever talked to or heard of has heard of this movie. So this is the hill you want to die on? Like, <laughs> Right. Why don't you go for an actual great movie like, I don't know, Kazam? Yeah. Or Spice World. Right. Wait, was Kazam... Was it Shazam? It was Shazam. Kazam was an app, right? That told you the music? I don't know which way is up now. Uh-oh. I don't know. Anyway, choose a movie. Any movie. George of the Jungle. Yeah. There you go. But, like, I've never heard of this movie. So, I'm like, what? Okay, whatever. Right. 
So this credit gets him like, quote unquote, known in the Hollywood scene, but not in a good way, because everybody in Hollywood talks about how he did not get that legitimately, that like it was only because he sued somebody over it. Yeah. They're like, hey, don't talk to that guy. Yeah. You don't want to work with him because he's trouble. And not only that, I also read articles that he was involved in lots of lawsuits. Other people sued him for like projects that he didn't actually finish or he's super litigious. Well, isn't litigious like you sue people? Yeah. Well, he gets sued. Oh. He's... He's a litigious magnet. He's a litigioso. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, because he he was... By the time that he meets Brittany, he's in, like, debt, like, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, my God. And she was just, like, the perfect little surprise for him. Absolutely. Um, his nickname around Hollywood was Simon Konjak. I think, you know. Well, it's fitting. And also, I appreciate the creativity there. Yeah, I like it. Fits. Um, but he does what, like, any great con man does, which is he takes those little bits of information that are true. So, like, I have, I have a screenwriting credit on this movie. So, if you look it up, like, oh, okay, yeah. I literally looked it up when you said that and saw that he's on there. Yeah. He had nothing to do with it. So he takes little bits of fact and then builds on it. And so by the time, you know, he meets Brittany, he's like, I wrote this movie. I did this. I have that, you know, all these things. But what about the White Motel one or whatever it was called? I don't know. I don't know if it even went anywhere or what. But Simon's mom. Oh, God. Mm Mm-hmm. Now she's like, they got they got Simon all wrong. He just tells like outlandish stories. And what he's doing is he's using people to write his next script, but they don't know that. So he's just like telling them stories and it's like a joke. It's just a goof, like whatever. Um, he wasn't a liar or a con man. He did have one drawback, though, and that was that he sometimes mis- would mistake fantasy for real life. Not on purpose, but like, what? Again, like as a goof. Uh, You know what I mean? Because he's like trying to just write a script and just like not tell people about it. It's kind of like when I forget that kid's name, but who cares? Because he's a piece of shit that killed Sarah Stern. Mm. And he was confessing to one of, bragging to one of his friends about it, but that was just him writing a movie. Right. He was just telling the screenplay. Yeah. Well, okay. But you know who is exactly spot on about this whole situation, Cat Williams. People don't say the same shit about you for that long and it not be true. Exactly. And everybody's saying it. Everybody is trying to warn Brittany and be like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, I feel like he's dangerous. And like, you know, he's, it's just going to get you in trouble. Um, Uh, And what we know now. Exactly. So now in the show, we're back to the aftermath of Brittany's death and the toxicology and the autopsy reports come in and they're really surprising. So Winter says that she died of pneumonia, anemia, and an overdose of over-the-counter medications. So, you know, you would think, I mean, we're hearing about all these heavy-duty prescription drugs that they found in the house, and so many of them, and like none of those were in her system at all. I wish they'd had antibiotics. Why didn't they have antibiotics? Yeah, this isn't like the fucking Oregon Trail. Yeah. So. Winter says, Brittany had gotten sick with flu-like symptoms for approximately a week to 10 days. A 32-year-old can die if they're sick 
and are just fed over-the-counter medications. And I think that's exactly what happened to Brittany. A person who's 32 can die if they are very sick and then they don't get treatment. Like they're just fed over-the-counter medication. So if she was having flu-like symptoms for, what, a week to 10 days or whatever, had Simon taken her to the doctor once, they would have given her antibiotics probably and she would be alive today. It's as simple as that. One question, though, is why did she have anemia? Because it was pneumonia, acute anemia, and then the overdose of the -the over-the-counter drugs. And I have read an article, some articles that still say she died of a drug overdose, and that's not necessarily true. Like, she did have too much over-the-counter, like, cough medication and other things like that in her system. But the reason that that contributed to her death was because it masked her symptoms and either Maybe it made Simon think it's getting better, it's not as bad, or whatever. Maybe she doesn't need to go to the doctor, she'll get over it, it's a cold, or I don't know. But it slowed her breathing down, you know, it does all these other unintended, can have unintended consequences. Like, you definitely need to be checked out by a doctor with something like that. But Winter attributed her anemia to having unusually heavy periods, but... I guess, like, I've heard of that happening, like, in different, you know, ways or whatever. But hold that thought, because anemia comes back up later, and we certainly can't attribute heavy periods to it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So the media is going crazy. Why didn't he get her help? Why didn't he take her to the doctor? To fend this off, he goes on Larry King Live. I love Larry. <laughs> Larry. Um, what happened that day was Brittany had laryngitis. I have no idea what to do with laryngitis. I'm a rabbi, not a doctor. So I pray instead of prescribe. You didn't want an autopsy at first? No, I didn't. To us, it was such a shock, this pristine body that was curvy in all the right places and the skin like silk. And how could I say in front of her mother, cut her up? I mean, it was just And what kind of insanity is that? How about stories that you are a Svengali, a controlling factor? Svengali? Yeah. I should be so lucky. (laughs) Sharon's eating up every word he says. It's... Was she in love with him? It seemed like it to me. It was very strange. And like, he's a rabbi. Diane Diamond is like, come on. What is that about? Like, she was not having it. And like, 
the autopsy discussion, her body was curvy in all the right places. Like, I'm glad that you were attracted to your wife, dude, but that's fucking creepy. Well, and like, it's not like you're, you've are you sold her to a meat packing yeah. plant or, like, you know. You're like, trying to get to the bottom of her murder. Well, well okay. What her death. Her death. Yeah. yeah. That's so crazy. That is so weird. It, yeah, it's weird. And, like, Larry King just has this look on his face like, what the fuck is going on here like he looks uncomfortable and maybe like unsafe but yeah but like it's so weird to me too because he's like well i'm not a doctor well no shit take her to a doctor yeah why don't you take i'm a i'm a rabbi i pray instead of prescribe stop it you what even does that mean like he was on something yeah he doesn't make any sense so needless to say that interview just makes stuff worse it does not help the public perception in any way shape or form so he's like well that went just down the toilet and lit itself on fire. How about I do another interview? Hmm. So he invites Radar Magazine to his house. Oh, I've heard. I'm a Real Housewives watcher, and they talk about Radar online all the time. I have never sold stories to Radar online. Oh, is it like a trashy magazine or something? I gather it's trashy. Like a TMZ kind of thing? I think so, but just because of the context in which I've heard about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that they're going to be contacting the Wall Street Journal, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, Simon invites them to what he calls to tour the death house. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. His words. What the fuck is... Okay. And then they get there, and he's like, you're the first people to see the infamous bathroom. Yeah, what happened in the bathroom? That's where she fell. Oh. Yeah. Oh. But like calling it that, and he called that the death room. The infamous bathroom. Yeah. And why didn't he why didn't he sell tickets? That's basically, I feel like, what he was doing, because you know he got paid for that story. True. It's disgusting. It's so awful. So then he's like smoking a cigar. They're playing piano or he's playing piano, smoking a cigar. He looks like he's having the fucking time of his life. Well, because this is an opportunity for him to be the center of attention for everybody to like, oh, look, look, there's. Yeah. But and he does it in just the creepiest way. So then he's like, sh- their house was like an episode of Hoarders. They had just shit everywhere. Piled I heard up. that. It was very dirty. Um, but there's all these like, um, what am I trying to say? It's almost like uh Totes, armoires. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost like a store where they, how they hang clothes. Oh, like and racks and racks, things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could not think of that word. So she's got like racks on racks on racks of clothes. There's just like a whole area of the house that just has like clothing racks lined up. And so he walks over to one and he's like, she had all these beautiful clothes. She had a great collection of leather jackets. And then he pulls one up on a hanger and he goes, Oh, I never even saw her wear this. Isn't this cute? Look at it. And I'm like, can you, can you imagine like showing clothes of your spouse who's recently deceased, talking like you're at a store with your friend picking out like an outfit for them to wear for the weekend, or like your child's yeah. closet. Yeah, isn't this so cute? Look, isn't this adorable? Wouldn't this look great on her? It, just the way he said it was weird. Yeah, I feel like Simon is. An inappropriate moment. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's it's awful. And then he's like, we just had a blast together. Every day was just crazy. We just did all these crazy things. And, like, I would play piano and she'd fall asleep on the floor listening to it. And See, okay, I feel like all of this is great. And I think that it's amazing that he feels the way that he feels. 
that is supposed to come much later, like after, because when it's that close, that closely follows a death, yeah. it feels and seems tone deaf and mm-hmm. inappropriate yeah. and yeah, offensive. I don't know. I mean, yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's one thing to like celebrate somebody's life. Like that's totally fine. But what he's doing right now is he's selling it and it's disgusting. Oh, yeah. It's awful. So before the commercial break. Oh, well, wait. Simon's mom, apparently they ask her about this and she's like, it, it seems bizarre, doesn't it? Why would he do that? I don't know. Mm. Um, but then before the commercial break, we hear another 911 call of Sharon now saying that her son-in-law isn't breathing. Oh, Jesus. And it very much reminds me of when Phoebe had her second heart attack and she's like, I'm having another heart attack. Like. I miss Joan. I miss Joan. Like, what the fuck? How? Okay. So it's May 23rd, 2010. It's almost five months to the day that Brittany died. And Sharon Murphy has called 911 again to report that her son-in-law, Simon Monjack, has stopped breathing. What's the problem? What happened? My son-in-law, he stopped breathing. Not breathing at all? Yes. Did you see what happened or not? Not fluid in his mouth. Is, is he choking he on anything? Purpling, and he was, uh, and he snored. Lay him flat on his back, on the ground, no pillows. I can't get on the ground, he's gigantic. He's gigantic? Yes. <laughs> Who calls what mother in law calls their Mm -hmm. son in law baby like that? Yeah. That sounds like you're referring to somebody that is your romantic partner. Yeah, an intimate lover. Yeah, because I cannot in any way, shape, or form like think that, you know, like if something happened to me, you know, my father-in-law would refer to me like that, you know? Or, like, yeah, it's not the same exactly, but if if I called Andrew baby. That would be weird. It Super would be weird. definitely weird. Yeah, it's so weird. So, it's like, what's going on there that makes that an appropriate, this sounds like a husband and wife or a boyfriend and girlfriend kind of thing. They make me, un- un- this whole thing is uncomfortable It's very me, uncomfortable. Yeah. At 9.45 p.m., Simon Monjack is pronounced dead. So Ed Winter is back at the house five months after his investigation into Brittany's death. And he's like, kind of weird, like going back to the same house so soon. They found more prescription bottles, but this time there were some odd names. Some were in Simon's name, of course. Some were made out to some guy named Trevor Williams, either a real person or an alias. We don't know. Ask Trevor Williams. Oh, and some were. Get this. Okay. Under the name Sharon Monjack. No! That's the bombshell. <laughs> and those prescriptions, the Sharon Monjack prescriptions, were in the bedroom mm-hmm. on what used to be Brittany's side of the bed. Why? Why? I want to stop talking about this. Ed Winter interviews Sharon. He's like, hey, girl, um, just one quick question here. Why are your prescriptions in this bedroom? And she's like, well, Simon and I have been sharing the bed to comfort each other, you know, after the loss of Brittany. What the actual fuck? Yeah. And Sharon later is like, absolutely not. There were no prescriptions, like nothing existed in the name Sharon Monjack. That's not a thing. And I had no 
items in his bedroom. And Ed Winter was like, oh, yes, she did. I saw it. And Bryn Hammond, the Scottish, I guess, um, journalist. Yeah. Or no. And yeah. I'm sorry if that's not what it is. I'm not great with accents. But he said they were definitely doing the dirty. Oh. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, sh- like, n- not a no shit. But, like, yeah. no offense. I didn't mean this directed at Bryn. But, like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly what they're doing. Linda, Simon's mom, is like, oh, no, they weren't. Absolutely not. And she's like, um, I spoke to Simon daily, and the- it just wasn't like that. And then she throws some serious shade at Sharon. She's like, I can absolutely 100% refute that because I was speaking to him daily and it wasn't like that. He loved beautiful women, young and beautiful women. And every woman he'd been with was young and beautiful. So I rest my case. Oh, well, okay. Okay, all right. right. Um, But I mean... In all reality, where is where does Linda live? England, okay. Cambridgeshire, Cambridge, Yorkshire. I don't know. Liverpool, somewhere. But like, okay, she can talk to him on the phone every day. She could talk to him twice a day. Mm-hmm. Do does she think that he would actually be like, "Hang on, mom, I gotta get off the phone so I can bang my mom-in-law real quick"? Not not a big deal. Like. He could hide that. Uh, absolutely, you can hide that. There's a lot of stuff you can hide when you talk to somebody for 15 minutes every day. Yeah. On July 22nd, 2010, the coroner announces his findings. Simon wasn't in the best health, and the coroner says he's like, I think he abused his body. But his cause of death was acute pneumonia and anemia, just like Brittany. Now, how does that happen? Five months apart. If you're going to get something like that after right after somebody else had it, or, like, if you're both going to get it, wouldn't you get it at the same time? You would think. It Especially if it's your spouse and you guys are sharing a bed, sharing and everything. Yeah. Brittany's father, Angelo, is not buying this at all. He does not think that Brittany's death was accidental or natural. He hires Dr. Cyril Weck, who is, like, a world-renowned uh, forensic pathologist. In doing research, what they learn is, like, one of the causes of death, he, they really focus in on the anemia because that just seems strange, like, that she had anemia so badly that it could cause her demise. But they found out that anemia will also present in someone who has died of arsenic poisoning. That's one of the side effects of arsenic. Something like that could account for the acute anemia that was found in now both Brittany and Simon. And this is speculation, but when Simon was talking about Brittany's death, he said she was super sick. And before she died, Sharon was making her soup. And that, you know, they were feeding her Sharon's soup because she was so sick and all this stuff. I don't know if Simon ate the soup at that time or what, but I'm just saying, could something have been in the soup? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Angelo also finds out that the L.A. coroner's office did not test Brittany's hair for toxic substances. They did test her blood, her tissue, her urine, but not her hair. Once that was tested, they found out that Brittany's hair tested positive for 10 heavy metals in super high quantities. They don't really go into, like, like they show a copy of the report, like the top part of it, and you see some of the metals listed and it says positive. But he doesn't really say, like, what these metals 
do or what that what means that, to yeah. have those metals in there. So I Googled some. So the top one was manganese, and it says that high manganese levels can cause a problem with iron metabolism in the body. So that could contribute to anemia, right? Mm-hmm. Like it affects how you... Uh, your body's uh, ability to use or break down iron. I yeah. Guess. Absorb iron. I don't know. Selenium can cause a garlic odor to the breath, a metal taste in the mouth, and hair and nail loss. That one didn't really raise a lot for me, but it was there. Barium can cause like heart problems. It can affect uh, the speed of your heartbeat um, and blood pressure problems. So somebody could pass out, faint, you know, fatigue, all that kind of stuff. And if you look up just heavy metal poisoning in general, arsenic is part of that list, but the symptoms include flu-like symptoms, anemia, blood pressure, fatigue, coughing, all the, all the things that Brittany had can also be attributed to heavy metal poisoning. And Dr. Wecht says that he's never seen anything like it. But to confirm these results, they need to exhume Brittany's body. But since Brittany's mom, Sharon, is the sole heir to her estate, she has she makes all the decisions about this. And she says, absolutely not. No I wonder way, why. Yeah. So many people want to know, like, as a mother, why would you not want to know exactly how your daughter died? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Angelo thinks that Brittany was poisoned by Sharon. And it, he, there's no doubt in his mind. She, she killed Brittany. And then had to poison Simon later to cover her tracks is what he thinks. Bryn says... Sharon's a cancer survivor twice. And it would make more sense. Like, she would be more prone to getting something like pneumonia than Simon and Brittany. But of the three people living in the same house under the same condition, she's the only one still standing. Like, it's just weird. Riddle me that. Yeah. And we learned that, obviously, Sharon is used to living in the home with Brittany and Simon. She moved in immediately. But they may have been making plans to move to New York City and try for a baby. But according to Simon's mom, Simon wanted to move there without Sharon. He didn't want her to come with them. So Angelo is like, she would not have taken that line down. So would that be like motive? Sharon denies, of course, all accusations. And she fires back at Angelo saying that he just wants his daughter's money. Like, don't listen to him. He's crazy. That's really funny and rich and very easy to accuse someone of. And I don't know the inner workings of like if Angelo's a good or was a good, good guy that didn't would not have been interested in that. But for someone holding all the cards and all the money, it's easy to be like, well, all you care about is money. Like, uh, you don't. Right. Yeah. She ended up writing a letter for The Hollywood Reporter in November of 2013. And they don't. They don't read it in the documentary, but I found it. Um, and she talks about how Angelo is, um, you know, saying all these things or whatever. But she's like, Angelo wasn't there for her in life. He certainly wasn't there for her during the 12 years he spent in prison on his felony convictions. Um, he did not see Brittany any of the last three years of her life. She hardly ever saw him. Obviously, he wasn't in her will or anything like that. but. She's like, the lab testing that he had done is, it wasn't properly done. So what she says is, um, 
She says, I have asked some knowledgeable people and they tell me that an analysis from a sample of hair is not considered dependable unless it is backed up by tests of tissue and blood and other analysis, which he did not do. The coroner did, but they show no similar results. I'm also told one lab may give different results than another in terms of heavy metals and the proper method requires multiple tests before any results are released. The lab Angelo used, if you can call it that, is an internet site that farmed out the actual testing and then wrote horribly untrue things under the guise of analysis. It mentioned rat poison as a possible cause and claimed to be able to say that a third party murdered my beloved daughter. To even mention that the heavy metals that were listed in his test are in rat poison, leading articles, leading to articles suggesting that Brittany ingested that or anything like it is absurd. If she had, don't you think that would have shown up in the coroner's test of her blood and tissue? A reputable expert will tell you that what his lab did is an ethical violation of the highest order and even to even pretend to be able to draw such conclusions on reliable evidence is the real crime. So, I don't know. She, she goes on to say, like, Angelo is just using this to try to get some of his own aspirations met. He was trying to make a documentary and write a book about the case and like stuff like that um his other children say he was obsessed with finding out what happened to his daughter and he was just doing what he could to do that but you know at first i'm like okay sharon's making good points here like i don't know but then i'm like well why were you sharing a bed with simon why were you calling him baby in the 911 call like you can say that nobody else was there and heard your conversation with Ed Winter or whatever, but I heard you call him baby mm-hmm. on the 911 call. Like, why is that? It doesn't make any sense. Sharon was always the sole heir to Britney's fortune. Records show that she did, in fact, update her will after her marriage to Simon, but still intentionally left him out. I wonder if that explains why Simon would have taken up with Sharon after Britney's death. Because if she passes away, he gets nothing. Mm. So, like, now his meal ticket is gone. Yeah. So, does he then make a move on Sharon? Well, and it kind of seems like he's definitely not into working for a living. Exactly. He's certainly not going to do that. By 2017, Angelo Bertolotti realizes there's nothing more he can do. Like, Sharon is not going to cooperate and his health is starting to fail him. He's... Like he's, you know, getting to be close to his 90s at this point. Dr. Wecht says that he thinks that Brittany's death will not be cleared up in any meaningful way anytime soon. Um, but he does say that he reviewed Simon's autopsy and he believes that Simon did die of natural causes. He doesn't think anything else happened there. And, you know, one thing they didn't talk about in this documentary was the mold. And I feel like anybody who is familiar with the case, happened, yeah. yeah, was like, oh, Brittany died of mold in her house. I literally had a conversation with our friend Brittany the other day because they had a mold scare in their yep. apartment. Yeah. She was like, I'm not going to be the next Brittany to die of mold. Exactly. Yeah. So apparently when they did go and investigate this, like that came up as a possible cause and they went and like investigated in the house and nobody found any mold whatsoever in the house. So where so did that it was come like, from? I don't know. I mean, I, it's like. I guess one of those things where like the press caught wind of it and then they just started saying it because there are still articles that say that she died of a drug overdose and they make it sound like, I mean, some articles even mention heroin and cocaine. I'm like, that was not in her system. That's it. That's totally false. I feel robbed and cheated of a lot of years of believing that she got pneumonia 
and bronchitis and whatever from mold. Yeah. Yeah. When that certainly did not happen. Um, you know, I, I feel like we may never know what happened to Brittany and Simon, but, you know, being that Angelo has passed away now, he, he can does. talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like you said, we don't know what his relationship was with her. We don't know. Like Sharon says that Brittany didn't want anything to do with him anymore, that she felt like he was just trying to use her and stuff like that. I don't know that to be true. I don't know it to be false. I don't know it to be true. Um, well, and we don't know what exactly Sharon might have been feeding Brittany as far as like, well, you know, your dad and he he didn't, you know, like, yeah, I think that Sharon. I believe that Sharon is a manipulative person. I think that that could be fair, a fair yeah. analysis of her. And so who knows what was going on behind closed doors there? Yeah, I read a few articles about the case, too. And Dr. Wecht has made statements saying that. Um, you know, obviously the black mold was never found in the home and all that, but he says that he believes that Simon murdered Brittany kind of by way of not taking her to a doctor when she was incredibly ill. Because that is a form of murder. If you, I've heard about parents and children and their child gets cancer and they're like, we're just going to go the holistic route. Mm -hmm. Well, if you refuse treatment for your child. And then your child dies. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe he is like, was he trying to be a rabbi? Then I don't know. But then he says he says he Simon murdered her and then he committed suicide by knowing that he was super sick and refusing to go to the doctor himself when he became so ill. And he thinks Sharon had absolutely nothing to do with either of their deaths. He thinks it was a murder suicide, but not necessarily malice. That's interesting. It's it's weird. It's weird. It's super weird. And I think. Like, I was on a path with this case of like, okay, this this is where I think this is going to go. And everything worked out until Simon died for me. Yep. Yeah, because it wouldn't make sense for him to murder her on purpose and then him die five months later. Of the same exact thing. I want to know what Linda thinks. Obviously, Linda does not have kind things to say about Sharon. Sharon. She has glowing things to say about Brittany. She loved Brittany. Well, I mean, didn't we all? Yeah, but Sharon, she's not fond of. I'm going to be honest, I'm not fond of her either. Mm -mm. So, yeah, I really, I don't get it. I don't know. But so they ended strange. up selling, Sharon ended up selling the mansion for $2.7 or something. So they lost money on yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel bad to say this, but that seems really like a low ball for yeah. a mansion. And they have, whoever bought it has completely redone it. I mean, it looks like something out of a sci-fi movie to me now. It's like oh. crazy. It's really beautiful, but. Well, I would think they would have to do a lot of work on it anyway, because. If you're in a typical hoarding situation, there's a lot of... Yeah. It can go into, like, disrepair. Yes. Yeah. And also, two people died in it, so it's kind of creepy. Yeah. You don't know how many people have died in this house? Andrew looks stuff like that up. Really? Because of ghosts? Yeah, he's scared of them. Okay, well, I don't know how many people have died in my house then, I guess, because my house is old as hell. Yeah, my house is built in 2002 or something. Oh, mine was, like... 1943. Oh, people are totally dead in that. I know. Yeah. There's a spider that's dead in that house right now, I'll tell you that. Blowtorch's ass. <laughs> well, that's it. What do you guys think? We're listening. Go on. <laughs> Don't be scared. <laughs> Just kidding, podcast. <laughs>
let but, us but know. do comment yeah let us know yeah and yeah um these kinds of things like i said with listening or hearing about Brittany murphy and her death it's always been a subject of interest of mine like i've i've been interested i want to know what anybody has to say about it if there are any new developments but it's so frustrating because this is all you get like you you leave it with like okay well we'll never know yeah i still don't know yeah, yeah. and i feel like it's so sad and i am more than okay if the if the actual answer is it was just a natural call you know like if if it just happened but i just you know all the signs are not pointing at that for me so it's so crazy like and just all the erratic behavior from everybody close to her. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that, like, everybody started distancing themselves from her right before that, like, she definitely, so, like, Mark Ebner is, like, he isolated her. He kept her in that house all the time. He was pumping her full of drugs. He was, like, totally manipulating her mind. Like, he just got in there and he had a hold on her. And her entire life went to hell. Bad. It's very when bad things happen to good people. And I think Simon was the bad thing that happened to Brittany. Mm-hmm. Sad, sad, sad. All right. So before we go for the day or week, I guess, depending. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What are you going to do after this? We don't know. Yeah, if you're a patron like these fine people, you'll hear us again before next week. Yeah, you will. Yeah, and you will. you're welcome. Mm-hmm. So um, first, we would like to thank our totally buggin' $50 level patrons, who are also our producers. This episode brought to you by Madison Jarrett, John Wilson, Megan Hudspeth, Greg Brock, and Skyla Claxton. Thank you guys so much. Words cannot express how much we love you guys. Oh my God. A hundred percent. And then we also love our newest patrons. Hey girl, thanks to Megan N. Bryn H. Kelsey B. Elizabeth B. Natalie. Amanda M. Tiana D. Alyssa. Elizabeth Z. Colleen F. Elise F. Jill S. Catherine L. Anna Catherine E. Mackenzie F, Julie J, Michelle F, Mystique, Dylan R, Jennifer Z, Lisa J, Brittany T, Anne Marie R, Emily B, Michelle W, Sierra C, Gabby, Amber P, Anita D, Meredith Carrie S, Wendy W, Brittany D, Chelsea C. Thank you guys so much. We love you guys, love each and you. every one of you. Thank you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 